There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In my 27 years as a Victorian policewoman, I investigated everything from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. Policing taught me a lot about human nature, which I explore in my podcasts with a variety of fascinating guests discussing the human side and impact of crime, not only on their lives, but mine as well. My podcasts are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. If you find yourself affected by my subject matter, please contact Lifeline or any other support, service or person that you feel comfortable with. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs and not everyone will agree with them. I understand that and I hope you do too. Thank you. She said, we all thought that you were, you know, a pissed off ex that wanted to report rape. But until she heard the audio on the phone, only then did she believe me, even though this has happened before. Similar circumstances. I I was told that quite a lot, that I wasn't believable. Hope you've all had a good week. Uh, This week is part two and the final of my interview with Sarah. Just in recapping Sarah's amazing story, Sarah, it's not her real name, she heard an interview I did uh, a while ago and she contacted me to thank me for shining a light on mental health, and it, which was a subject very close to her heart, as I found out. And there was a line in her email which really stood out to me and it caught my interest. It said, quote, What is interesting is that I'm a psychologist, the very type of person who should know better than to get into a relationship with a narcissist or so you would think, unquote. And, you know, it made me think how just because we're experts in a particular field, it doesn't render us incapable of experiencing emotions or situations that every other human being feels or is affected by. And when we do, we so often feel disappointed in ourselves for feeling that way. And because she's a psychologist, it seemed to me that Sarah thought she should have been able to identify the signs of a narcissist and avoid them. But don't we all tend to brush off little concerns or niggles we have when we first meet somebody that we like? Forming a relationship is about accepting and respecting each other's differences and accepting that no one, none of us are perfect. And Sarah is no different, psychologist or not. And the fact that Sarah felt as a psychologist she shouldn't have fallen for a narcissist, it just seemed 
uh, harsh and unfair. Um, as I said um, or hinted at before, we can all be bowled over in those early days when we first meet someone that you just think is the person you'd dreamed of meeting one day. And again, I stress, Sarah is and was no different. Her story is incredibly distressing and concerning on many levels, but in my mind, the responses that she received from the police were outstandingly inadequate. And I can only hope, I pretty much know, that police are learning more and more about the complexities of domestic and family violence. But her story, Sarah's story, confirms that no matter how educated or intelligent someone is, uh, where matters of the heart are concerned, our decisions aren't always the right ones. Sarah continues her story today of somehow finding the strength to fight for justice when it seemed that doors were closing every door she went into and she felt so very alone and she says she wasn't believed. She was even accused of falsely reporting a rape by her former partner with so much detail and evidence to corroborate her trauma, but even that wasn't enough in the initial stages for the authorities to believe her. What does someone have to do to seek justice? My goodness, Sarah's story outlines why many victims of domestic and family violence and sexual assault don't consider reporting it to the authorities. But they are getting better. So don't hesitate, please. How how did you find the response from the police? Because I imagine that through all this, the police would should have, would have, um, could have given you a, a person, um, a support person or somebody almost like a triage person that you could yeah. ring or... So um, I might be, I hang on, I might have confused you. So this, um, where he, the sexual assault was the first account, was the first time. Um, I haven't yet got to the second part where the actual rape occurred. Uh, yeah, I am a bit confused. So yeah. at the time when he snapped <laughs> your phone, when yeah. he came in at 2 a.m., is that the time and he slashed your tyres? Yeah. And you no, beg- so um yeah. no so he he this was all happening over a two month period yep. where he would break into the house he would break my phone all of that okay. and it all sort of escalated to the last night which was when he slashed the tires and broke in and sexually assaulted me and raped you um yep. no no okay no he didn't not at that point so I think that at that point where it was just sexually assaulting me or indecent assault. I don't think it was taken as seriously mm. by police. Okay. And, and on this yeah. time, when you say sexual assault, could you explain that a bit further for us? Yeah. What did that so, entail? Sorry. So, no. So, that was the, um, sorry, it's all the New Zealand and Australian um, mm-hmm. Uh, different names so no so the first time was indecent assault and that was orally and digitally okay that's rape here yeah yep yeah and so he was charged um with those offenses I think it was 
four counts, oh no, maybe two counts of indecent assault and a burglary okay. for breaking yep. into the house. Okay, yep. Yeah, and he was given, um, so that was in December 2020, mm. and he was given one year inten- uh, intensive supervision. Okay, and that was uh, why he was remanded? Yes. Okay, Yeah. no worries. Yeah, yeah. I'm up to speed. So, <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, it's confusing. That's right. It is a bit, um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was the first time that I'd ever written a victim impact statement. Okay. And I remember the first one I wrote, it had to be changed what? because it had some swear words in it or it, it had, you know, I couldn't say this and I couldn't say that. So it was highly edited. So you couldn't um, – so you were – um, silenced from actually yeah. a victim impact statement is yeah. how it has affected you, how you feel, how it's affected your life, uh, how you felt during the time, I don't know, whatever. But yeah. what you're saying is you weren't actually allowed to even at that point say no. what you, how I, you really felt. It was edited. Yeah, it was edited, highly edited. Um, and... When I said it, so I, I said it myself in court and I had support there. It was an open court. So I remember there was people I didn't even know were sitting in there, which was highly embarrassing. He's, sit, he's standing across from me and I remember being so proud of myself mm. for reading it mm. and standing strong, not crying, you know, just being, I, I, I felt quite powerful in that moment. It wasn't until afterwards when he got intensive supervision, he's, you know, sent home, um, that he contacted me and he was like, I already read it. I read it before with my lawyer and he's laughing. And I was like, ugh. You know, like that just shows he doesn't, he didn't even care. It didn't make any impact. But at the time he was crying on the stand. Please. So big Hollywood there. Um, yeah. So that was the first time we went through the court process. So after that, he was a free man, other than he had intensive supervision. Right. So that leads us on to. So, <laughs> um, so that was December 2020. Um, and we were getting on okay. We were able to co-parent. We were having every second weekend, the kids would go to him. And I thought everything was, was going well. Um. Yeah, until until the second time. So he, I had put the kids to bed, and I it was a really hot night. So all the doors were open. The wind, you know, there was a breeze blowing through. It was about ten o'clock at night, and I hear this his truck. I knew the sound of it. I could hear it screeching down the road at full speed in like second gear so it was really loud and I just knew it was him and he pulls into the driveway and I just froze and I'm thinking what on earth can I do it's happening again mm-hmm. um he got out of the vehicle and he's holding alcohol in his hand and he just ran at me and so he's yelling at me about the house so a little bit about the house because this comes up quite a bit mm-hmm. is I bought my house. I um, purchased it well before I met him and 
I had always paid all the mortgage payments myself. Most of the time I did. He, you know, he wasn't working for much of the relationship. Mm. And when we broke up, he wanted half of it. He wanted me to sell the house and give him half, pay him out. So this was always a subject that was brought up to sort of blackmail me because he knew I couldn't afford to do that, but he would like to bring it up or or he would say, I'll sign over my half of the house as long as I went along with whatever he was saying or wanting me to do. And when I didn't do what he wanted me to do, he would say, no, I'm not going to sign the relationship Mm. property agreement. Mm. Um, You have to pay me Yeah, bargaining tool. Mm. So when he arrived here drunk, he was screaming, you've got to pay me 300000 for half the house. And I just am like, okay, what can I do right now? Because the kids are inside. I can't run away and leave them. I don't have my phone on me. I don't even know where it is. Um, do what you can to try and calm him down. So I'm trying to talk him down. Somehow we end up back inside the house. And I noticed that he locks the doors. He locked all the doors. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, where is my phone? Where is my phone? I'm trying to search everywhere. And he just, he leads us into my bedroom. And I have the phone there. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, bring, you know, ring the police now. Um, Because I didn't have a safety alarm. Even after the first time, I still had it got one. So he went and to check on the children um, who were asleep. And I thought, I've got like, what, five, ten seconds here. I've found my phone. If I ring 111, which is, sorry, which is the New Zealand safety emergency number, I have to talk to them and explain where I am, what's happening, tell them to come. I don't have that kind of time. So... I immediately, I don't even know how I thought of this, but I immediately chuck my phone onto video, I start recording, and I shove it under the bed. And then he walks into the room. And I kind of had an idea of what was going to happen, to be to be fair with you. I knew he wasn't in any state to be calmed down. He was really angry. He was really, really drunk. And I thought, I'll, tr- I'll try my best here. To, to try and calm him down um, and also to try and be as quiet as possible so I don't wake my children. I just thought of them the whole time in the back of my head, like, please just don't do anything in front of the children so don't wake them up. So I'm trying to whisper the whole time to keep him calm. And over the next, I think it was an hour and a half, he, he raped me Um. When I told him to stop at one point, he smashed a picture, uh, a glass picture frame in the room, and this woke the children up. Mm-hmm. So glass was everywhere. Uh, as soon as I said no, that's how he reacted. So he woke the children up, and then he tackled me onto the ground, and that's when he started to um, strangle me. And at that point, my... Uh, our our children walked in and I'm on the ground he's on top of me uh, strangling me and in the in the audio you can hear our son call out mama mama 
no, mama, stop that. And yeah, it didn't, it didn't stop him. He carried on for, yeah, an hour and a half. And, and this Mm. is just for um, our listeners. This is after he has been remanded in custody for um, right, uh, for sexually assaulting you previously. He's only really just out, been released. Would that be right? Yeah. It had been two months since he had been sentenced. And actually, just while we're on that, um, how long did he actually spend inside for that first sexual assault? Like he was very little time. How much? Very little. I think at most two months. Okay. On remand. Yeah, that's disgraceful. Okay. Um so oh your little your little boy's mama mama and no Mm. um Mm. what happens? Oh gee. So Mm. he then fell asleep. I'm again exhausted. And I went to bed with the children and I was able to grab my phone and hide that. Um, and I, I do recall a moment there where I thought, oh, no, I have to go through all of this again. I know what tomorrow is going to be like. Mm. I know how draining it is. Mm. We have to do the rape kit all over again. We have to do interviewing. But this time it's going to be worse. Yeah. And I just, I was so exhausted. And for a very brief second, I didn't want to do it. But I thought, no, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's no way. So the next day, I acted as though nothing had happened. I acted like everything was okay in front of the children. I just wanted to make them feel safe. And I knew that I needed to get them off to childcare. He was acting as though, because he stayed, he was acting as though we were together again. Everything was great. Uh, you know, Delusion. we're a happy family. We're a happy family again. So I kept telling him, um, oh, I'm going to drop the kids off and then I'm going to go to the gym. And he was like, well, I'll just stay here. And I said, no, 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 you go do whatever and then come back. I'm locking the house up. And in my head, I have a plan. And my plan is get the kids dropped off, go to the police station, and then the police can um, come back and meet him here at 10 o'clock when I said I'd be back. So... He falls for this story and I I remember ringing my boss up and saying, um, I'm fighting back tears at this point. I'm saying, um, I can't come in to work today. Uh, something's happened. She knew straight away and she said, where are you? I'm coming to get you. So she raced down to the police station and supported me the whole day. But um, I went to the police station and I remember – telling them what had happened and just bursting into tears at the entrance of the police station. Everyone else is there and they're like, what's happening? This lady's crazy. Um, And I met up with two female detectives and at that point they wanted to interview me. And I told them what my plan was that, you know, he's going to be at my house at 10 AM. You need to go there and get him. Um, he doesn't know this is happening. He thinks it's, you know, I'd explain the whole plan to them. They actually took my phone away from me and said, well, you can't message him anymore. Um, 
because this is like entrapment. Mm. So that word kept coming up a lot, entrapment. Yeah. And um, and I said, I need my phone. I need to text him. Otherwise, he's going to know that I've set him up. Yep. So you need to let me keep in communication. They're like, no. So they took my phone. He had sort of cottoned on to this idea because I normally would text back straight away once my phone calls. Anyway, I think the whole police force where we live was sent out to my house in a really quiet part of town. And he turns up and there's about 10 police cars outside the house. Well, he just kept going, didn't he? He's not exactly going to pull in. And, um, yeah, so then he was on... He was on the run for the next five weeks. Yeah, they couldn't find him. Yeah, words fail me. Um, Yeah. So you did tell me when we were talking last week about the response you got from the police, which was pretty amazing and I feel very ashamed of. Can you um, you? Tell the listeners about the response from the police. Yeah, so um, one one of the detectives working on the case, she told me up front that she didn't believe me. Um, Is this 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 time the time that you've gone in with your your um your support worker, your friend from yeah. work? Yeah. So she said to you, "I don't believe you." Yeah. Wow. So um, she said, no, it's we, we all thought that you were an uh, um, ex, uh, you know, a pissed off ex that wanted to report rape. Um, but until she heard the audio on the phone, only then did she believe me, even though this has happened before similar circumstances. Mm. Um, uh, I remember being told that a lot of the senior constables, uh, sergeants had said they disagreed with the way in which I recorded it because it looked like a setup. Um, yeah, I, I was told that quite a lot. Really? That I wasn't believable. And another thing was, um, and I only got to see this just before the trial was the video of me making my statement. So, um, again, I had to interview first about three times. I had to tell my story before the rape kit. Mm. I remember sitting there and all I could smell was him. Mm. And I am sitting on this couch with my legs crossed and talking really matter of fact, sort of how I'm talking now. Mm. I don't look like your typical victim. I am not hysterical. I'm not all emotional. And I can remember exactly how it happened Mm. and what happened. Mm. So they didn't believe me at all. Um, Is that a feeling you got or is that what they said? Well, yeah, they did. I mean, they did say that they didn't really believe me at first. They thought it was a, you know, pissed off ex that wanted to get him in trouble. Uh, so this it, was yeah, all, it what they were saying was that um, you were entrapping him in in a, mm. a, 
mm-hmm. uh, simple terms, that you yeah. had set this all up um, so that y- you um, could have him charged. It was all, yeah. um, um, what's that word? Yes, um, you had it all sorted. This is what this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get you, and I'm yeah. This was my plan the whole time. Okay. Um, so, again, had to do a rape kit, um, a new doctor, a new nurse, the whole thing, haven't eaten, haven't drunk any water, haven't been able to go to the toilet. And this this time was a lot more invasive. Um, the questions were more invasive. The photographs um, the swabs, it was humiliating. The only positive that I had there was I had my support. My support person was amazing mm. and wouldn't leave my side. So I uh, had to tell my story again to them. And um, after that, it, by then it was nighttime. Um, I hadn't seen my children. Uh, my kids' childcare was put into lockdown. Um, which was scary mm. for them and for parents. They had no idea why it was being put into lockdown. Mm. Um, my parents, they had to leave the, their house for fear of retribution because no one knew where he was. Mm. And me and my kids were put into a – we were put into hiding basically mm. uh, for the next few days and then we were sent out of town for about a month. For safety. And the whole time he was contacting me. Yeah. God. Mm. Yeah. There are so, so many questions. Yeah. Like just the fact that you had to tell your story. Time and time and time again. Yeah. Hence why I might, I might sound pretty matter-of-fact because I've told it that many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, when you said before you weren't a typical victim, mm. I thought I'd I better um, not pull you up on that, but... The, a typical victim, and I think um, those words conjure up what most people would think a victim of a sexual assault mm. um, would have in their mind. It would be somebody hysterical, uh, somebody that was so distressed and distraught they sort of couldn't put two words together. They might be screaming, they might be in the fetal position, and I have... Um, consoled many, many victims of sexual assaults and rapes that have um, been in that state. But I have also interviewed and been with victims of a sexual assault that are exactly like you're explaining, that are very measured. They know exactly what happened. They can describe everything in detail and they can describe mm. it without um, much emotion or any emotion, some of them. Uh, and 
that's the danger, I think, that because somebody can explain something and not be hysterical and, and be very measured, it's like, what's going on here? This isn't what, you know, you would expect from a victim that has um, been uh, choked, for instance, uh, orally raped, anally raped, whatever it be. Mm. You know, I think um, there is really no typical victim, is there? It's what we see in the, you know, I don't know, on the TV and that 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 we that's generally how a rape victim, let's say, or a sexual assault victim is portrayed, but it's not yes. always like yeah. that, is it? And and I hear what you're saying. You're saying that because you are quite measured and because you can tell it with little emotion, the detectives, as you're explaining it, they're starting to look at you like this this is this hasn't happened. This is pardon me. This is bullshit. Mm. Is that that that's mm. sort of what you thought? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that was the impression that they gave me is that they didn't believe me. Um, and what I actually found out through the trial process was that most juries, um, because juries are made up of you know typical everyday people yep. that haven't been through things like this. Yep. Um, their idea of a victim of rape or sexual assault is a stranger. Yeah. So mm. it's not mm. a person that you're in a relationship with. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand that that part. That that's what they think a victim is. Is a stranger just comes up and rapes you. Yes, that's right. Or attacks you in a park. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah, that that's so true, and that's um, a, another reason why we need to talk about what we're talking about today. Is because um, that's right. You can be raped in a well, yeah. You can be raped in a relationship, and that wasn't mm. recognised. I don't think mm. until I don't know, maybe the the eighties or something, where they changed to. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Say so you could have rape in marriage where the law changed. Um mm. So I get what you mean, that a typical, what in the jury's mind is that um, a typical rapist is the stranger lurking in the bushes mm. and grabbing you, uh-huh. as, as you say, as you walk off a tram or walking through a park yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Tell us about the trial. <sighs> yeah, so... Um, the trial took about uh, two years to go ahead. Um, again, he wasn't on remand for very long in prison. He was allowed to be on electronically monitored bail. Mm. Um, this isn't in the town in which I live in, though. This is a, about an hour away. Mm. So there was that distance. But remember the kids still have to see him yeah so every two weeks they're having to go see him through all of this um i mean he did he did hand himself in after five weeks he reported to police and he refused to say anything about what happened and we went to oh we tried to go to trial the following year and then he pulled the i've got covid Mm. the day before Mm. So it was put off the day before we went to trial. Um, He had COVID. So it was put off until last year. Mm. Um, I don't know if there's a way in which you can prepare someone for a trial. Mm. Um, The experience was one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing I've ever had to experience. It was harder than what happened by far. Um, So I was meant to be giving evidence for half a day and I ended up giving evidence for three days. Um, My boss who had supported me in my, with the police, she was my support person 
so she knew what to expect. Um, and we were able to have a screen up between us. I didn't want to see him, so we put a screen up, but I can hear him on the other side of the screen. He's like a, two metres away. Um, so just you were, you were sorry, the, you were actually in the courtroom. You weren't uh, in I was actually room. in the courtroom. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the, my lawyers had already told me that they weren't going to play my recording, my statement, um, because of how I appeared in it. Um, I was emotionless, too matter of fact, slouching, looked too casual. They weren't going to use it. So I had to actually give my evidence in person. The best evidence that you could absolutely have and they're not going to play it. Yeah. So I was ready. I was so prepared to do this. I was quite confident in myself. Like I just, I knew what I was going to say, you know. Because, because it was the truth. It's, You're telling it's the, the truth. truth. <laughs> Yeah, you, you you know what you're going to say yeah. and it's going to come easy. Uh, I had been warned about um, his lawyer and they were unsure what direction they were going to take, but mm. they just kept prepping me for him and how he was going to – it would feel like an attack on me, but it wasn't. He was just doing his job. I was told that a lot. Yep. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can do this. So I remember walking into the courtroom and there's just a hundred eyes staring at me. And it's like there's 12 jurors just staring at you the whole time. It's so intimidating. And then you're sitting up high and everyone's just looking at you. Um, but you're soon able to sort of block that out. And um, first day was was fine. I, I was just answering the questions. Um I was told to only answer the questions that you're told mm. or that you're asked, mm. and that's what I did. Um, at the end of the first day, uh, my detective told me, you know you're allowed to show more emotion, you know you can cry if you want to, maybe try this, you know. Mm. So I, I knew that I'd come off a bit cold. Yes. But I said I'm not going to be someone I'm not and I'm not feeling emotional right now. Mm. I'm definitely not. Mm. Like I'm – I feel fine. Um, or so I thought. Uh, second day, whole different story. So uh, on the second day was when they played the audio in full. And God. Yeah. there's a transcript at the same time that everyone, including the jurors, is having to read through. Um, I hadn't heard the audio until that day. Oh, gee. Yeah. And to hear my baby yelling out for me was just horrendous. I can't. It was something I wouldn't wish on anyone having to hear that. Mm -hmm. um, and then having to hear what actually happened to me, because uh, you, you tend to block it out. You know, you know what happened, but you don't really recall it in full. I guess by that by that time, it had been like two years, and I didn't want to think about it again. Of course you but were. to hear it, mm. to hear the noises, 
to hear the bed springs. This is on huge speakers in the courthouse, oh, blaring. Very humiliating. Um, jurors are crying. Mm. And at that point, I didn't even know I did this until my support person, my support person's crying. Mm. Um, we had to take a break because everyone was crying. And I ended up in the fetal position on a chair, slumping down, almost trying to hide myself. And I started to wail. It was this noise that I can't even create again. Disassociating. Mm. Yeah, it just, Mm. it hurt my whole entire being and I didn't want to be in that room anymore. I was so embarrassed. Mm. I just didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I think we were set for a lunch break and then we're back into his lawyer. Um, Just doing his job. Just doing his job, yes. Well, that was that was an experience. I wouldn't. I don't know how young people, um, young women, cope through this because that was soul destroying. Mm. The the things he was saying to me, mm. just his job. Mm. But he, you know, because you're the victim. Um, and, and the, I guess the defendant doesn't have to say anything. They don't even have to get on the stand. You just get attacked personally from every which way. So um, we, had a, we had a court reporter in the court at the time that followed the whole trial, which went for a week. So every night the local paper would report on everything that had been um, – that had happened in court that day without naming, yeah, yeah, without naming uh, us, but those who knew about it knew it was us. So first night, headline comes out, and it's great. It's all in my favour. This is the first day that I I was on the Mm. stand. And I was like, oh, great, this this looks really good. You know, it's all in my favour. From then on, every single day was the most – it was humiliating. Mm what they said about me and how they twisted things. What, and what did they say about you? They, I think at one point, and I know that other people felt this way too when they read it, is they made me sound like a prostitute mm. at one point, Yeah, um, that I was selling myself to other men because whatever he – so he got on the stand on, say, day three and four, and almost everything he said never happened. Mm. It wasn't true. But this was being reported as truth in the paper. So he could say anything. Mm. Um, the stand, the direction, sorry, that uh, the defendant was taking, and this became quite clear when he was, um, you know, questioning me, was the house. I had, done, th- there was no indication that sexual activity hadn't taken place. Mm. But was it consensual? That was the question. What they were saying is that we had had sex consensually. I had recorded it so that I could use it against him to get ownership of my house. Yeah, I could see that coming, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all the questions were around the house and – um, and you'd called rape was, because you wanted the house. 
Yeah, because I wanted the house. And what came out in the trial, and the judge picked up on this because he was horrified as well, is that a month before we went to trial, um, he signed the house over to me. And at the time, I was like, wow, it's taken two years to get to this point, and he's finally agreed. Great, got it all signed. Didn't realize it was going to come back to bite me on the ass like this. So the judge was like, pardon, he he signed the house over a month ago. I was, yeah. But I don't, I don't know if the jury necessarily picked up on that. So that was what was reported in the paper every night that I'd done it for the house and it was all consensual. Mm. Um, he was a great dad. Uh, great provider and I was just better um so I didn't actually sit in while he was on the stand um his partner and mother were in the room with uh, we're in the courthouse with him they heard some of the recording so they would have heard that um and then on the Friday my detective had rung me to say that the jury had gone and to deliberate, I think the word is. Um, and then about four o'clock in the afternoon, she rang me and said, um, I'm so sorry, we we lost. We got found not guilty. Oh, boy. He won, and he won with the defence that you'd set yeah. him up yeah. and called rape because you wanted the house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the end, I think he was charged with one burglary and one indecent assault, but none of the sexual violation charges um, had been made uh, found guilty on. Um, another thing is that the jury were given, they were told about the previous offending mm-hmm. as well, so they knew he had a history of this. Um, I just remember my whole world just imploded at that moment. That was the hardest news I've ever had to hear that I find it pretty I hard lost. myself and this is, you know, three or four, three years down the track and I've got nothing to do with it. I am just, I'm gobsmacked. Uh, I remember the detective, she was really upset on the phone and I felt like I had to pick her up. Not that wasn't her fault, no. but I just, I felt so bad because she'd put in so much work and I got it. And I, she did tell me after this um, that she had changed career. She no longer wanted to work in this no, area because I get that. I, uh, of that outcome. I absolutely just, get that. Yeah. Um, and I ran away. I left town with the kids for about two weeks and I just cried and cried and cried. And, yeah, he was a free man. Can, uh, you were just saying then that he gave evidence for two days mm. and you weren't in the court. Were you uh, ordered from the court or you just didn't want to hear it? I, I wanted to hear it, actually. I really wanted to hear it, but everyone advised me not to. And then I realised 
mm, do I really want to be in the room with his mum, his partner, his partner's family? Um, mm. Yeah, and I was told, you know, the jury will look at you for reactions yeah. Um, yeah. from whatever he's saying. So I thought, no, it's just best I, I go. Um, but I was told afterwards a lot of what he said and it was a lot of it never happened. A lot of it was untrue. Yeah. So he's now a free man. Yeah. Um, I just find it interesting that he was found guilty for the burg and smashing things in the house, hmm. but um, not for the, the sexual assault. Hmm. Um, how are you these days? I, uh, so what is it, a year and a half since it happened, uh, since the trial. Mm. Um, it hasn't been easy. Mm. Um, it hasn't been easy for my children. Uh, they were young at the time and they're obviously a lot older now. Um, they miss their dad, but they get time with him. It's because he's moved further away, but he they definitely get time with with him, I still get digs from his mother. I still get, you know, little comments here and there. Um, me and the kids at this point are thriving. We're doing really well. Yeah. I'm finally coming out of this cloud of like trauma and distress. And, and I mean, I got diagnosed with PTSD. Gee, what um, a surprise. Sorry, but. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So, um, there, there was definitely a depression there, um, triggers, triggers um, happen often, less frequent now, but um, yeah, I think we're doing okay, but I know that this is going to be a lifelong thing because he's obviously still a part of the children's lives and there's going to come a time when I'm going to have to tell them what happened. Um, so one of my things that I've always held dear is that I will never say a bad word about him to my children ever because that is, that is part of them. And it's not for me to take that. Um, and when they're ready, I will tell them what happened and then they can make up their mind what they do with that. Mm. Oh dear. It's not very often I'm lost for words, but I am. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I I recall one of your podcasts with I think it was the mum and her three children, who, um, her, uh, her partner set them alight in the car. Oh, uh, yeah, that was Hannah Clark, but that wasn't Hannah Clark. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't one yeah. of my podcasts. I do talk about oh, it quite a lot. Yeah, you had yeah yeah you had talked about it, and um, I remember someone talking about the domestic violence um is it lethality indicators or something along those lines and that there's 39 of them yeah i actually after i heard that on your podcast i went and found them and went through them Mm. i had 29 of the 39 yeah yeah Frightening, and you know, unfortunately, Sarah, you're not, um, you're not alone. Like, no, this is happening all the time, and that's why yeah. 
we need to talk about those signs and, um, you know, the fact that you need to tell someone. In fact, I was going to, I just um, noted before, I wanted to go back and ask you um, just a couple of things about, oh, yeah, in in um, your mind, this is when it all first started um pardon me, turning to shit, and you realised this is not the man that I thought he was. And when you realised that it's not going to get better, in fact, it's going to get worse, and you had a plan. So you started to tell people, and I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking this is a good thing to tell the listeners, is that if you do have a plan, if you come to the decision you've got to do something, Yes, I think you need to talk to somebody to tell them because, you know, if the worst case being the worst case scenario, say with Hannah Clark and her three children, um, if Hannah hadn't, for instance, have told her her mum or her brother or her girlfriends or whatever that things weren't good, nobody would know. So if you do have plans, yes, tell somebody what your plans are and talk about your plans, have a plan. Um, And just to tell somebody, you can't do this on your own. No, you can't. Um, And I had hidden it really well. That, That was part of the issue is I had hidden it. I had come up with excuses. And I think women tend to do that. So, just before I went on my overseas trip, I remember meeting with a friend and I told her, and I said, I'm going to leave him, but when I do, it's going to be really bad. It's not going to be like a typical relationship breakup. Mm. It's going to turn really, really bad. Mm. And she was like, what do you mean? And I just said, I don't know, but I know it's going to be really bad and it won't be taken easily. And I don't know what to do, but I know I need to leave. And I mean, we didn't think it would be this bad, but I guess I knew that this is how he was going to react. Uh, and my plan was always around finances because he had taken, even though I was the, I had worked full time the whole time, mm. um, he still had this weird financial hold over us. And, for example, he had made me go guarantor for a business vehicle, which he then wrote off and got insurance for, but it was still under my name. Um, it's, 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 they tie you in. So there's almost, you're trapped. There's no escape. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, how do I save money? You know, so I've got money to go to. Um, you're thinking of everything. Of course, you're thinking of how they're going to, um, what they're going to say because they love, uh, and when I say they, I'm saying narcissists, they love to say that you're cheating even though they're the ones cheating. Um, you know, they just make up these elaborate lies and you have to think two steps ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing, I mean, there's so much in what you've told us today that is just so concerning the police response is just um, and the court you know with him winning is just incredible but what really concerns me and we haven't gone 
into it a great deal. But I've interviewed um, a number of women um, family violence advocates, um, spokespeople, and they talk about the fact that choking uh, is really um, the, the stats are huge that if you have a partner that um, has tried to choke you, it's um, oh, not likely, but it's very, very possible that, um, you know, you're one step away from murder. And yeah. choking is just so, so dangerous. Um, so dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So look, I w- sorry, go on. Yep. No, I was just going to say I wasn't aware of that until it happened. No. and I had no idea that that was the indicator. Yeah. Oh, yeah, huge indicator. Yeah. Uh, look, Sarah, in, in closing, just one question. There's so many, <laughs> but the one I, <laughs> yeah. I, that is uh, burning in my brain here is with everything that you've been through, would you do it again and is there anything you'd do differently? Well, if I could turn back time, I wouldn't have um, got into a relationship with him, obviously, mm. or I would have been a lot more persistent with breaking up with him. Mm. In terms of everything that I've been through, through the legal system, through what he did to me, um, all of that, I don't, I don't think I would do anything else differently. I think I did everything right. Um, I was warned that there was a likelihood of losing, even though we had all the evidence. And even knowing now that I could still lose, I would have still done the same thing because at no point did I do anything wrong. Um, do I regret anything? No, just meeting him. <laughs> that's, mm. that's the only thing. That's really interesting that you say, and I'm really um, buoyed by the fact that you would still go through it again knowing everything you've been through mm-hmm. and and the um, lifelong damage uh, um, that it will cause and particularly to the kids, you know, mm-hmm. seeing their mum uh, in the position that you were. Um, but what about somebody else that is... Uh, going through this right now and they don't know what to do will I will I call the police what would mm. you tell that person yes call the police but before it even gets to this stage if you have doubts start talking to people around you that you trust mm. that you want to leave them mm. that you have concerns that there's red flags any of that the first red flag you know if you should be with that person or not you know in your gut but you're just trying to ignore it Mm. I think Mm. reach out talk to people because a lot of the time you don't actually think oh this isn't right it's just you get you get led into this false um sense of normal yeah I guess and it's not until you tell someone they're like that's not right um that, yeah, you you need to reach out to people to help support you through this. You cannot do it on your own. I thought I could, and I couldn't. Um, and the police are there to help you. Um, do reach out to the police. My experience was 
hopefully a, a one-off. Um, but there's definitely support services out there. And in saying that, I did have some really bad experiences with support services. Mm. And then I also had some amazing people reach out. Um, victim support here in New Zealand was amazing. Mm. Um, rape crisis, not so much. So, yeah. Well, Sarah, uh, I think thank you doesn't cover it, but um, I just want to say thanks for your honesty, for your openness, and I've got no doubt that your story will help others who are unfortunately in similar circumstances right now. Mm. But hopefully it might help them to make a more informed decision, give them some strength and some hope. Um, But... um, Thank you for what you've shared with us today. And to anyone listening who is in fear and is in a dangerous situation, as Sarah's just rightly pointed out, you cannot do it on your own. Um, Seek advice, ask for help, don't stay silent, tell people. That's another thing Sarah has said that she did. Um, Tell people what's going on. There's so many support services out there, but the ones that I can think of off the top of my head would be the Orange Door, which is a um, reasonably new organisation. It's probably been going for 10 years now, but since I've been out of policing, it's, um, uh, I just hear nothing but good reports. The Orange Door, it's called. Lifeline, obviously, and Cars are the Centre Against Sexual Assault. They're all around um, Victoria, Australia for that matter. But please make that call and um, see it as a strength to seek help, not a, not a weakness. Thanks for your time, Sarah. Thank you. As you've probably noticed, we've moved to a new platform called ACAST. I think that's... <laughs> the right expression, I've got no idea. And my previous reviews haven't transferred over. I need reviews. (laughs) Could you do me a favour and put up a review? And thank you so much for your support and patronage. With your help, I can give you that little bit extra. Thanks. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.